So what episode are we doing today? We are covering the case of Michelle and David Notak. A couple of you were telling me about the book. Yeah, it is. I was going to do the other one first, but um, I think that one's going to wait because this one I know is well organized and I would like to just get it out of the way, get it done with. Dan didn't know anything about this case and I was talking to him about it last night and just kind of told like some of the little snippets here and there of like the way that she tortured people and stuff. And he, for the first time, I actually got to hear Dan say, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I was like, yeah, yeah, it's rough. It is real rough. That's usually when we get the response, like, why do you do this? Yeah, he was like, I, that is some next level shit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. I don't mean to sound chipper about it. I'm just glad that I, it's all done with and I don't have to continue to research it. And I'm done with the book and everything, too. I was going to say that it was bad enough they wrote a whole fucking book over it. Yeah, the book was, um, I would say my main source of information. I also, I did watch the episode of Wicked Attraction on, on it. It's season three, episode two. I watched that and I don't know. They didn't, and I understand it's like a 20 minute episode basically, but they did not cover pretty much anything that, and they changed the girls' names. They referred to Nikki as Megan, Sammy as Dana, and Tori as Whitney. So I was watching it and I was like, what is going, what? What is happening? They changed the names of, like, I mean, if it's on the case, why, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I think it was just, like, whatever, the TV network or whatever didn't have permission from the girls to use their names, maybe? I don't know, but I mean, it's it was public knowledge because the episode came out in 2010, and the case, they were sentenced in 2004, and this was a widely publicized case. Again, they wrote a fucking book about it. So, yeah, which the book is is really in depth, and it gave me a lot of the a lot of the backstory, like before the crimes even started. So there's going to be a lot of extra information in this one, but. I don't know. I think it'll be a fun. It'll not a fun. Ooh, that's a bad word. Um, I think it'll be a decent listen for those of you out there listening. This is what not to do. I mean, if if this is the kind of stuff you're into, just don't have any sort of human interaction at all, please. Yeah. No. No. Um, what you should do is get a job as like a telemarketer. Because you can both torture people via the telephone, but also sit in your house and not physically torture people. Perfect. So we're going to jump in. We are going to go back and talk a little bit about Michelle, who everyone, everyone called her Shelly. We're going to talk about her when she was younger, as well as like her dad and her stepmom and their, I guess, beginnings. Because I will give it to the woman. She did not have the best start in life. 
at the same time, not having a good start is not an that. excuse. Like, not having a great start is definitely not an excuse to fucking, like... If you're using the fact that, you know, oh, I had a rough childhood as an excuse to abuse your children and others, it's... Straight up, like, you know, no one, No one believes you. Yeah. Yeah, this was a wild one. I remember when I worked at the factory, I... You, I listened to the audiobook and I would just stand at my desk and be like, yeah, like some of the stuff and you know, it's little things. It's like, oh, and I remember on this day, this happened and you're like, one of them, you know, was the witness at her wedding when she married David. And that's just, I'm, I'm like, I can't imagine. As a witness at my at my marriage, I cannot imagine locking you in the pump house at our home. <laughs> do you do you want to come live in the pump house at my at my house? Not in the same way that these people did. You want to be my you want to be my I little well. I would love to live closer to you. That just sounds like a terrible fucking idea. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna torture you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so. for that. <laughs> okay, so. That was her full name because she was married three times. David um, Notek was her final, her last husband um, before, obviously, they went to prison. But she was born Michelle Lynn Watson. And she was born in Raymond, Washington, to her father, who was Les Watson. And her mother's name was Sharon. Sharon. But we're going to skip talking about Sharon for a little bit. And we're just going to talk about Les just for a minute. Les was a track and football star. He was like, you know, the big shot in town. Everyone knew who he was, thought he was going places. Him and his mother owned um, a set of nursing homes and Les owned a bowling alley. In this bowling alley was a snack counter. He met Laura Stallings when she was working at the snack counter to save, save for college. Uh, that was in 1958. She had long, curly, blonde hair, and she was gorgeous. Laura fell for less because he seemed like he had his life together. So he actually lied to her when they started dating and said he was only four years older than her when he was actually 10 years older than her. She was like 19. Mm-hmm. She was saving right. to go to college. That's what threw me off. I was like, pedophilia? But at the same time, she's not a minor, so... Yeah, not quite. I mean, it's sketchy. It's a, it's a right. shitty thing to do, but right. technically not illegal. They ended up getting married, obviously. they She stuck it out. They got married. And the very next day, she found out he wasn't as great as he led... As he, you know, painted himself out to be. Surprise. They got married in a small civil ceremony, just... Just basically the two of them and a couple other people. And the very next morning, his ex-wife, Sharon, called and asked, when are you coming to get these kids? Yikes. Yikes. So, and I don't know if Laura knew that he had children, but, like, she she didn't know that he had previously agreed to take, take in his children because his ex-wife couldn't take care of them. All what? of the red flags are being thrown. Right? Like, if he has children, he doesn't mention. Right. Girl, run. Right. So, he had promised to take care of his children. Uh, he had three children, a girl named Shelly, Michelle, and two boys named Chuck and Paul. He went on to tell Laura that his ex-wife was an alcoholic, and 
she agreed that they should take the children in. So they went and got them, got Shelly and Chuck, who were six years old and three years old, respectively. Mm. But Paul, Paul stayed with his mother because Paul was still an infant. Oh, yeah. Let's leave the vulnerable one with their mom. Well, not only that. If he is an infant, if he's still a baby and you left him with her, how long were you guys separated? How long were you divorced before you got married to her? Before you married Laura? Like, the red flag is giant. The red flags of all red flags. So, Laura had noticed pretty early on that Chuck, who was three, didn't really talk to her. He didn't speak at all. But Shelly would talk for him. And it seemed like she kind of controlled everything he did. Shelly, on the other hand, as she got used to being in the house and got used to Laura, she would spend every day telling her that she hated her. Wait, they took the ex-wife in, too? No, the ex- no, the ex-wife did not move in. Shelly, as Shelly got to be more comfortable, like, living in the home with Laura and Les and got used to the house and all that, she started telling Laura every day that she hated her. At six years old. Oh, right, okay. So- Sharon basically disappeared out of the two older children's lives. It was a case of, I'm not seeing you every day, so I'm not thinking about you, you know? And it's even said that, like, Sharon didn't have the best upbringing. Her mom had gotten married and remarried and a bunch of other things. She had had a twin who passed away. There were some people that kind of thought that Sharon was was into prostitution, which... I think due to what had happened and her living conditions and everything, she probably was into some form of sex work or something of that of that nature. Um, in 1967, after they had only been married for seven years, they got a call from a deputy down in Los Angeles County, and they were notifying them that Sharon had been murdered and that they needed someone to identify her body and to pick up Paul, the youngest. Oh, I so, in 1967, which was only seven years into Laura and Les's marriage, they got a call from a deputy down in Los Angeles County who told them that they needed to come and pick up Paul and that they needed someone to identify Sharon's body because she had been beaten to death and she was found in a hotel room. And Les said that initially he was kind of hesitant to go and pick up Paul because he had had previous behavior issues. I have a problem How with this. Now? Um, he would have been seven. Yeah, because he was an infant when they got married. And so this was seven years later. Okay. So my issue with this is like, what were you going to do with the child if you were not going to go get him? Release him to foster services, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and, like, so you were totally cool with taking your other two children, one of which was a complete and utter psychopath who controlled the other child, and yet your youngest, who has, quote, behavior problems, which I don't know how you know about, other than unless Sharon was calling all the time, like, you need to come get this one, too, and you were just gonna give up on him? Like, you were just gonna be like, okay, peace out. Dad of the Year Award, right? Right? Well, and so, like, the other thing is, and we do learn later on that Paul, his behavior problems continued. He joined a biker gang, and he got a girl pregnant, and that's how Shane came about, which we'll learn about Shane a little bit later. But as their father, you have two children that turned out to be less than great people. Maybe you should look at yourself. 
to be fair, their mother was not great either. It's true, yeah. Um, so Sharon's body was returned to Washington, but even her own mother didn't want to do anything with it. So no memorial was ever held. She was just quietly buried, I guess. I mean, that's unfortunate, but... Laura would say that they tried to take, you know, regular family vacations, and normally it would have gone great if it weren't for Shelly. Shelly's the one that always had to throw a fit. She was fighting with them constantly. She would just blatantly refuse to go, saying she didn't want to go and she wasn't going to go. She would refuse to go to school. She just blatantly made up lies, one of which even involved her father at one point. Right. So, Shelly would go to school. Well, okay. So, Laura would try and make life really easy for her. Like, oh, you know, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do this. I'll do this for you. I'll lay out your clothes. I'll take care of you. All that kind of stuff. Well, Shelly hated it. And she would stop at a gas station on her way to school and change out of the dresses that her stepmom would lay out for her and put on jeans. I remember listening to this part of the book. Yeah, she, honestly, she was just a brat. Yeah, that child just, she was just a fucking terror. She was. I mean, she, she went from being a brat to her siblings and her mom or her stepmom and all of, all of the people in her life that were, that were just trying to take care of her, that were just trying to be there for her. And she escalated so quickly to putting glass in other children's shoes. Yep. Like broken glass. So I think we can kind of see where she got some of her behavior. When you look at Les's mother, Les's mother's name was Anna Watson and she was originally from, Fargo, North Dakota. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so when she was a teenager, she was moved out to Washington. Okay. She, everyone around her referred to her as the Iron Fist. Meanwhile, her husband, George, was just apparently like the nicest guy in the world. Which, isn't that usually how it goes? Yeah. Like one half of the pair is like strong I'm in, I'm in control, and then the other half is just like, I am the nicest person. I am a butterfly in the wind. Right. There was even a point where Anna, Les's mother, had two women um, come to work for, their, work for them at their nursing home, and she would only ever refer to them as the, quote, retards. She treated them like servants and made them clean her house, made them wash her feet and do her hair. And if they didn't move fast enough, she would beat them. Oh, no. No, no. If that happened in my nursing home, I swear for God. No, that wouldn't be a thing. Well, and at one point she had Shelly over there. She was babysitting Shelly, which, again, this is where you can kind of see where Shelly started to see a lot of this, like, torturing behavior. Because... Anna got so mad at one of the women for not doing something right, not doing something fast enough, that she held her head in the toilet and proceeded to flush it several times. 
how do you even come up with these things? Like, I mean, how do you look at someone and think to them, like, think to yourself, I'm, I'm going to give you a swirly. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, later on, there's a similar method of torture that Shelly uses. And yeah, I think we can tell where she got it from. Shelly would go over to Anna's after school, which then would cause Anna to call Laura and tell her that she's not taking care of her. Oh, you need to take better care of her. There was even one point where Laura had showed up to pick Shelly up, and because she, quote, wasn't taking care of her, Anna had taken a pair of scissors and cut Shelly's hair off. Oh, no. Yeah, if I showed up to my mother's house, my mother-in-law's house, whatever, and they had cut my child's hair and they said, well, you don't brush her hair, I would be like, I will. And you don't see your grandchild anymore? I will end your whole existence. Right. So this is where her lying takes a weird, not even weird, just absolutely horrific turn. Shelly, at 15 years old, goes into school and tells a counselor that something had been going on at home and she just couldn't take it anymore. So she was taken away to a juvenile hall detention facility. So no one would tell her her parents what was going on until they showed up at the facility and were informed that Shelly had said that her father had raped her. And I just... The part that I guess is confusing for me is usually, I guess now... When something like that happens where a girl says something like that or, you know, there's proof that this is happening, they call the police and they call, you know, Child Protective Services, Youth Family Services, stuff like that. And she was taken to a juvenile hall detention facility. I mean, first of all, they failed her, but at the same time, there's generally, like, a sequence to these things. They don't generally just take you out of your house. Well, right. And there's, you know, there's steps as for what's going on. There's investigations. If, if something like that is claimed, they will remove the child and make sure that they don't go home until it's all sorted out. Like, I know that that happens, but there is an investigation and, and other stuff. And I just, I mean, maybe a detention facility meant something else back in the 70s. Maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I found it really odd, but... Shelly was then taken to the hospital where the family doctor examined her, and he basically said, no, she is still a virgin, per what he said, which, you know, the thing is, is we all know that, like, now, you know, this is the 70s, but we know that, like, the hymen is not exactly the tell-all of things. Because it can be intact after sexual contact, it can be broken by tampons or riding horse or things like that. But, right. you know, the doctor was fairly confident that she had not had any sort of sexual contact like that before. And Laura went into her room and found a magazine that had a very similar story. So they knew where the story came from and they sent her to therapy. It didn't help because... Shelly would never admit that she had done something wrong or that she had lied. She was a fucked up kid. She was. And she apparently was from the age of, like, six, because, you know, she would controlled her younger brother and everything. But it, it leads me to wonder on the whole nature versus nurture argument. At the same time, though, I think that 
even as young as like a toddler, if you're abusing them or neglecting them in the way that her mother probably was, it probably contributed to it a lot. So at this point, she was kicked out of school because the school figured they didn't want to deal with her. They didn't want any more trouble. And Laura tried to enroll her in boarding school, but as soon as they looked into who Shelly was, they were like, mm, nope, we'll pass. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. So at this point, she was sent to live with Laura's parents, and her grandparents kind of tiptoed around her. She started babysitting other children in the neighborhood, but that did not last long at all because she started to lock the children in their bedrooms and barricade them with furniture. So this, her little visit with Laura's parents actually escalated again. She, she really likes to escalate things. She's like, you know what? I'm doing some pretty horrible things. Let's take it a step further. And she told her neighbors that her grandfather had been touching her. So by the end of the year, they were thrilled that she was gone. Yeah, so she stuck with the original accusation, just with a different person. Yeah, she just, she just jumped to the next person. And that whole summer, Laura was like, I gotta find somewhere to get her into school. And they finally found one at the end of the summer. It was a boarding school, and... It lasted a good couple weeks before the school started calling and saying, you need to come pick her up on weekends. You yeah. need to come pick her up when she is not in class on the weekend and bring her back at the end of the weekend. And that was it. And by the end of the year, they were like, no, absolutely not. We will not have her back. No way. Well, that seems fair. I mean, she's not even one you could probably homeschool, honestly. That would that just sounds like a disaster. No, I don't think homeschooling would have worked for this one, considering she just constantly tortured her house, like her whole household. Right. Shelly went to live with Katie, who was her aunt, and she took Shelly's complaints to heart, actually. She believed what she had to say, and she listened to her and she felt bad for her when she was like, oh, my mother was murdered and, you know, my home life is just terrible and all this other stuff. So Katie was like, yeah, we'll take her in. We'll, we'll keep her for a while. So Katie and her husband, Frank, lived out on the East Coast, I believe in Pennsylvania. Um, I think Frank was right. in mining at the time. Oh. Yeah. And so the family dropped Shelly off at the airport to go to her Aunt Katie's, and the family went to Disneyland because Shelly was the issue with all their family vacations. Like, they could go on vacation if Shelly wasn't there and have a great time, but if Shelly was there, it was a nightmare. Well, again, that seems fair. So, while, while she was living with Katie and her husband, Frank, um, by the end of her living there, she had caused so many problems between the two of them that Frank and Katie ended up getting a divorce. Yes, so they dated while they were seniors in high school, but when Shelly went back to Washington, she began working as a nurse's aide, and they kind of broke up for a little bit. She called Randy and offered him a job with her father, and initially he was a little bit like, Ooh, I don't know if I should go out there, but he ended up moving out to Washington, and they were very quickly engaged to get married and while they were running to the altar, basically. Right. Um, none of Randy's friends or family came to the wedding, and initially, you know, it kind of made him feel bad, but later found out it was because Shelly never mailed the invitations. First red flag. And like, <laughs> this woman is a monster. 
if it was purely based on the manipulation and the lying and everything, she is a monster. But it just gets worse. Yeah, no, this woman is like a disaster of a person. So in February of 1973, they got married. Uh, They were both 19 years old. Yikes. Big yikes. Yikes. God, I can't imagine if I would have gotten married at 19. That would have been a train wreck. You remember who I was dating at 19. And a half. <sighs> yeah. You know who I was dating at 19. Well, we like to agree that so, they both would have been a train wreck. <laughs> yes. Oh. So her father made sure that they have a trailer to live in, rent-free, and almost immediately Shelly was complaining about it. She hated it. She wanted a real house and all this other stuff. And then she started missing work and she started claiming that her menstrual menstrual cramps were causing her constant pain. She was just always in pain. So because she kept calling out of work and she was late and she wouldn't show up, her father fired her, which I agree. Seems fair. Sir. I agree. Seems pretty fair. Yeah, she went on to get another job at a different nursing home, which was also owned by a relative, but guess what? She got fired from there, too. Well, you're a caretaker. If you don't do your job, I mean, it's kind of what's going to happen, you would think. You would think. So she went back to her father's business and, you know, kind of tried to make it work there for a minute, but he actually ended up firing her for good. Good for him. So shortly thereafter... She went to her father and demanded she wanted a new car. And her dad was going to pay for it. He was going to get her a new car. You want to know what she wanted? Oh. Do you remember Wasn't what she wanted? was it like a Beetle or something? Yeah, the serial killer car of the 70s. Yeah. A VW Beetle. That's what I thought it was. So, <laughs> when he bought her a Buick convertible, I guess it was like a pale pink color, she freaked It was basically new, but it wasn't, like, brand new. And that night, she claimed that she overdosed on sleeping pills and booze. Well, she's retarded. At least, you know, that's what she said. They ended up taking her to the ER, and they pumped her stomach, and it turns out she had only taken a small amount of aspirin. Oh, my God. (laughs) I cannot imagine what would happen if I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to overdose. And I had taken, like, two Tylenol. That is the most dramatic suicide attempt I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So after this little suicide attempt, Randy went back to went back to taking classes. And at one point, he came home to find his house a complete and utter wreck. And it looked like his wife had been beaten. She claimed that a man had came in, beaten her, and raped her, and then stole Randy's rifle. And the sheriff and her father arrived, but the sheriff, after speaking to her and looking her over, proceeded to say that Shelly had done this to herself. She yeah, I feel like swore I remember her stomach. doing that a lot. Well, I think she does it, and I think she does it again. But like, she ever, she's always the victim. Right. Like she is always the victim here. So. She, she she refused to admit that she had not been raped. Like, she swore up and down she had been raped and that, you know, this house was, it was so scary and she was traumatized. And really, this was her way of strong-arming her father into buying them a house. Right. Randy, um, 
Randy wised up pretty pretty quick around here around this point and he realized that their marriage and her parents you know being all all for it and everything was just a way to get Shelly off their hands can you blame them absolutely not <laughs> so in the summer of 1974 Shelly announced that she was pregnant also terrifying oh gosh yeah so when Randy's family came from the East Coast to visit them, Shelly refused to leave their bedroom and wouldn't see any of them. And Randy, instead of, like, you know, bowing to her problems, um, he took his family out on the town, showed them around, showed them a good time and everything. And Shelly was livid. Like, she was so mad about the fact that he went ahead and had a good time with his family while she was acting like a spoiled brat. I can't imagine ever having somebody left. over here and like one of his parents and me acting like a bitch and he'd just be like, alright, bye. And then me getting mad about it. I mean, I think it requires a certain amount of like just complete and utter childishness to, you know, not be willing to come. Um grow up and just deal with them for a couple right. days. Like, I've read some pretty horrible things on the Just No Mother-in-Law subreddit, like, talking about how horrific in-laws can be. And trust me, I know how horrific in-laws can be. Like, my, my, my current ones are not that bad. But, like, I've met boyfriends, parents, and families, and I've been like, Oh no. Do I really want to marry You're this person? Not a I nice am marrying the family. Right. So when they left for after visiting and everything, Shelly decided to take out her anger on the gifts that they had brought. So things disappeared, things were broken, stuff like that. And it just seems on par for what terrible of a human being she is. In 1975, their daughter Nikki was born, and for what it all seemed like, Shelly seemed to be absolutely in love with her daughter, and she seemed to love motherhood. Her daughter looked just like her, apparently. Um, Shelly said that she didn't want to return to their home and instead stayed with her father and her stepmother for about three months until, until Randy was finally like, no. We need to go home now. And then Shelly started locking her husband out of their house. From there, she started taking his paycheck and telling him he couldn't come home, so he had to sleep in his car. And so Randy went home to see his parents for a little bit out on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. And two weeks later, Shelly called him and begged him to come home and repair, and repair their marriage. And he allowed her to come out and see him and bring their daughter. So she was there for about two weeks, and she was a holy terror the whole time she was there. The kid or his wife? His wife. Yeah. And by the end of, like, the two weeks that she was there, Randy filed for divorce. Go, Randy. Go, Randy. To get back at him, she racked up a bunch of debt and left him with all of it. And she got back to Washington 
decided to start working in a bar and basically disappeared for a while. Finally, Laura, her stepmother, received a call from a relative telling her that she needed to come get Nikki because Shelly was just gone. So Nikki lived with Laura and Les, her grandparents, for about a year, and then Shelly came back to get her. Shelly then told Nikki as she got older that her father had abandoned them and that his parents didn't like her. Oh my god. But what had actually... Yeah, that's not what happened. That's that's not at all what happened. She was on the low trying to hide from him so she wouldn't have to share her daughter with him. Right. And so when Les and Laura tried to check in on Nikki, they found out that Shelly's neighbor um, had keys to her apartment. Which they were like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of odd. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a guy, and it's their daughter and their granddaughter living there, and he has keys to keys to her apartment. Well, it wasn't long before the neighbor, whose name was Danny Long, moved in with Shelly and Nikki into a home that had been left to her by Grandma Anna. And then they had a baby on the way, which caused them to get married pretty quick. Last so in June of 1978, yeah, that's baby number two. In June of 1978, they got married and Sam or Samantha was born in August, which she ends up changing Samantha's name to Sammy Joe um, out of a movie, but also in an attempt to not let Danny Long know where his daughter was. I said, so not only is she a dramatic bitch, but she's a dramatic conniving bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So Danny was, you know, for for what everybody else had to say about him, he was a good man. He was a good father. He doted on the girls and he was kind to both of them, even Nikki. But he did push back to watch against what Shelly wanted. And that caused their fights to be big. Right. They would get physical, they'd break things in the house, they'd be screaming at each other. So obviously, like, things weren't going the best between them. Whenever Shelly would enroll Nikki in a new school, it was always under the last name of her current boyfriend or, like, her husband. And then she'd tell Nikki that she had to call whoever this person was, Dad. That's so... So a short five years later... That is so fucked up. It is. I can't imagine forcing, you know, a child to call someone else by, like, mom or dad just because, I don't know, I'm so mentally screwed up. Right. So, five years into the marriage, so 1983-ish, Shelley filed for divorce. And she actually already was looking at another man. Baby daddy number three. Yes. So she packed up her daughters and she moved to Raymond, Washington with David Notek. Wonderful. <laughs> and what everybody has to say about David, like when when they first met was that he was a really nice guy, mild mannered, really quiet, like just obsessed with keeping her and the girls happy. So, 
before they moved to Raymond, Nikki remembers her mother attempting to smother her with a pillow. Oh my god! And yeah. It, so then she convinced Nikki that it was just a dream. Because she was, she was little right. at this point. I totally forgot about that part. She was like six or seven, I think. Somewhere in there. Maybe even eight. And she said that basically she woke up. Or like, yeah, she woke up to a pillow being over her face. And she couldn't breathe. And she was trying to get help. And then all of a sudden her mom was there. And her mom convinced her it was a dream. And later on she was thinking about it and she's like oh you know she was right there right away david notek as well as his brother and sister were originally from the raymond area um his parents names were al and shirley they were true farm kids growing up they were the kind of kids who made their own toys out of sticks and strings and david used to wear the same clothes from year to year going to school but he used to say like he didn't fault his parents for it because they worked hard and they did their best and he knew that and he just he also knew not to expect the new brand new latest greatest everything because they couldn't afford right, it. right which makes sense yeah and so al was a timber worker and shirley worked in an oyster cannery and then later at jc penny Alan Shirley always said Dave was like, he was the troublemaker. He like would steal his dad's cigarettes and tried running away when he was younger, but I guess he like didn't make it far. Oh. And the kids, when they got in trouble, were disciplined with a razor strap, I guess. Almost like, you know, getting spanked with a belt. And Dave even said that he never felt like there was a time when he was disciplined that he didn't deserve it right so so like that's the kind of respect he has for his parents and stuff like oh yeah i i got in trouble and i was disciplined but they had a reason and i knew what that reason was i did something wrong which is kind of how it should be right and so Dave graduated in, in 71, and he decided that he wanted to be like his father, and he wanted to work in the timber industry. But his father was like, no, you need to do better. Try, like, try to do better. And instead, he joined the Navy and learned how to run heavy machinery. Oh. And when he, um, when he was discharged from the Army, he became a dozer operator in the timber industry. Oh. But the military gave Dave, like, a big boost of confidence. He served in both Alaska and Hawaii. And every everybody else said that he was, like, this handsome bachelor. Well, now I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> you didn't get to serve anywhere fun. No. I got the short end. I had to sleep in a fucking bathroom. That's true. Yeah. Well, fuck Hawaii. <laughs> Shortly after a breakup, Dave had driven his orange Volkswagen buggy. It would only be better if it was tan. Are you talking about Bundy's? Because his was that burnt orangey brown color. 
I would I would be willing to bet considering the years that they were the same color. I I because people's definition of orange, tan, brown, gold seems to be really confusing in the seventies. Right. I thought it was tan though. Um someone else had a tan sedan. I'm trying to think of who it was. Hold on. There's been a couple killers that had like a tan colored sedan and Bundy had two Volkswagens, I think. I know they said that the one when he was at the beach with the broken arm, the fake broken arm was orange, like a burnt orange color. Beige. He had two bugs. One was beige and one was orange. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Then. The orange one he stole in Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, shortly after a breakup, he decided that he was going to drive down to a bar in Long Beach, and that's where he saw Shelly Watson Rivardo Long. Soon to be Shelly Watson Rivardo Long, no tech. Jesus. He finally got up the courage and danced with her a couple times before asking her for her number, and... You know, they kind of thought maybe they'd meet at the bar again, and the bar burned down the next day. So, no, they would not be in it. They would not be meeting. That at the bar was again. absolutely a message from the universe telling him to fuck off. <laughs> Wasn't it? Like, no, sir, Don't no, do it. It's a trap. Let this road end here at the burned down bar. You don't want it. Dave called her and asked her out, and when he went down to see her, he said that he fell in love with her and her daughters, and he knew that the girls needed a father. So Shelly lost the house that she was living in, the one that she had gotten from Anna, it went to foreclosure, and Dave promised her, he was like, we'll get it back. They did not end up How getting though? it back. Like, I thought it was paid for when she got it. I thought so, too, but apparently it was lost to foreclosure, but I almost wonder if she didn't take out a mortgage oh, on it. that's probably true. Because she has real money problems. Right. So, after Shelly and the girls had moved in with Dave, she told him that she had cancer. Oh. So they quickly moved into a little red house and got married because Dave wanted to make sure that he would be able to take care of the girls when Shelly passed away. The, the marriage was a tumultuous one. I mean, if only she actually had cancer. Right? <laughs> the world would have benefited. Um, so the constant, the constant cruelty and fights very quickly turned Dave into just a tired, introverted, and depressed man. Like, he, he didn't want to fight with her. He wanted to have a good marriage. So he would go on drives after they would fight to cool off. And he rarely swore. He absolutely never lifted a hand to Shelly. But Shelly would scream at him and hit him and push him. And Shelly just told him, she's like, that's how fights, that's how we, that's how we fight. That's how you solve things. And Dave was always like, no, it's not. Jesus. He, like, obviously their marriage was really, was real tumultuous. And surprisingly, their little red house burned down too. I'm starting to think Shelly has a touch of arson in her too. Or the universe is really trying to get that, his attention. Right? 
Hello, look at this giant burning red flag. It's on fire at this point, and you're still just like, no. Literally. They moved into another rental. And this is where Shelly learned that... Hang on. So they moved into another rental, and this was where the family learned that anything could be a weapon if Shelly wanted it. Right. Well, you guys will hear the rest of it next week when we go into the abuse, the child abuse, as well as the torture and um, ultimately how they were captured and the sentencing, which is going to make at least one person really mad. I may be that one person, but I guarantee you it'll also make you mad. Right. Yeah, no, this was a wild one. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to get any easier. It's going to get a lot worse. All right, well, make sure you check back next week. Okay, if you guys would like to see pictures from this week's case, uh, you can see us on Instagram. At the Crime Scene Pod. Scene spelled S-E-E-N. And if you would like to suggest a case, if you have any comments about what you've heard so far or any previous cases, you can reach out to us uh, at email. At the Crime Scene Pod at gmail.com. And we check it at least daily, so we will get your your response. And we will see you next week, hopefully. Yeah. Tune in. Noon on Tuesdays. <laughs>